Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Cubs Related Podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined as always by Brendan, and we are coming to you on Wednesday evening. It is May 5th, and the Cubs have just swept a three game series with the Los Angeles Dodgers. The Dodgers send Clayton Kershaw, Trevor Bauer, and Walker Bueller to the mound in a three-game set at Wrigley Field, and the Cubs send them home packing with a sweep. Brendan, what a fun couple days of baseball. You know, when we were previewing the series, I'm thinking to myself, just one win, Corey. Just give me one win so it's not a complete sweep. Like, this is why baseball can be a dumb sport. Like, I know the Dodgers are playing bad, but... To the Cubs' credit, their pitching was on point. Their bullpen came through. They had clutch hits from Matt Duffy. Jake Marisnik was coming up clutch. And so that, that goes to show you, hey, when you have pitching and the depth to complement your starting guys, even when some of them are not doing that well, that's how winning teams go about go about the season. So it's it it fun to see. Still some issues, but overall, like, really positive. I'm feeling really good about this. 15-16, and 16, huge swing, Corey. Yeah, and I think, you know, whether the Dodgers have been uh, playing poorly or not over the last few weeks, they're obviously still a, a talented team. They sent three very good pitchers to the mound in this series. And when we looked at this stretch of the schedule for the Cubs, we knew that this was going to be a, a tough series, right? And for the Cubs to, they, they win in pretty dominant fashion in game one on Tuesday and then to win two very close games, which required extra innings both times, you know, dealing with all those pitching changes, the runner on second, navigating all of that, the Cubs coming back on multiple occasions after the Dodgers had taken a lead. This was a really, really, really good series, and and just something we've been waiting for, right? It's, we we knew that this was going to be an up-and-down season for this team. We knew that, you know, in some series, they, they looked bad against the Pirates, and then they show up here and, and do real work against the Dodgers. Uh, but this is the this is the series I think we've been waiting for, right? It was a little weird. You know, you have a doubleheader in there. But this was just that that series where you, you felt like, man, like this is kind of a, a glimpse of what this this team can do. They, they have the talent to win these games. They have the talent to compete against the the pitching that the Dodgers were throwing out there and like you mentioned Brendan it it took uh it took a lot of guys to piece this all together but uh you know a a Cody Bellinger list lineup or not a really really good job uh, by this pitching staff on the whole against uh, a a lot of really good hitters in that Dodger lineup so just uh like I said a, a really fun couple days of baseball at Wrigley Field, and it ended with three W's. Uh, Heading into an off day, the Cubs won game under 500, head into the weekend, and and, you know, as we did uh, the last time we were around there, let's get back to 500 and not look back. But uh, let's do a quick recap of these three games to set the table. Uh, A reminder, Tuesday was a doubleheader, so two seven-inning games that we saw and Brendan, I can you remember the last time you had more fun than the first inning of Game One on Tuesday? And I'm just I'm having fun, Corey, watching Jake Marisnik. And we talked about this on the last podcast. And at that time, he had like a 370-ish weighted on base average. Now it's like 400 plus, and that may not be sustainable. 
But like right now, who who cares? The guys are running around the bases, hitting complete line drives all over the place and stopping up big when Ian Happ is down and now Nico Horner is down and Willis Contreras is coming back from the hammy injury and trying to get back to the feel of things. Marisnik has been huge for this team as well as Matt Duffy. Yeah, and there there were a lot of heroes in this series, so we'll we'll, we'll talk about all that. But the first inning on Tuesday features the Cubs putting up a four spot on Clayton Kershaw. He does not pitch in the second inning, the shortest regular season outing of his career. Brendan, oh man. You guys know, if you've been listening to this podcast for long enough, how excited Brendan and I were watching that type of outing from Kershaw. He goes one inning, four hits, four earned runs, two walks, and two strikeouts. The Cubs jumping on him right away with Anthony Rizzo bringing home Chris Bryant, David Bodie with a bases-clearing double that made it four to nothing, and that was it for Clayton Kershaw. The Cubs would add a run uh, later in the game on a wild pitch. They would they would score two runs, actually, on that wild pitch. And then Jake Marisnik in the sixth inning with his third home run of the season. He was not done for the series. So knocking Kershaw out so early, putting up a seven spot to start this series, especially in a, a seven-inning doubleheader, beautiful. But I think one of the the things we really needed to see, and then that, that thing that really is going to make a, a lot of us feel a lot better is, I don't know if it gets scored as a complete game because it's only seven innings, but the game was seven innings, and Kyle Hendricks pitched all seven of them. He gives up seven hits, but only one run, only walked one, and got six strikeouts, the only run coming on a solo home run. So a really nice game for Kyle Hendricks, and a bounce back start for him. Obviously, it was not a good month of April for Kyle. And, you know, you had some people sort of starting to panic just because Kyle is, you know, normally that that kind of rock of consistency. But he sometimes takes a little to get going. And hopefully this start on Tuesday is the place that really kicks that into gear. So that was the story. Uh, It was Kyle Hendricks for seven and knocking Kershaw out early. In the nightcap, it was Trevor Bauer and Keegan Thompson making his first major league start for the Chicago Cubs. Keegan goes three and two-thirds, two hits, no earned runs, two walks, and two strikeouts. Brendan will have more for you guys on his pitch mix and, and what he brings to the table. But what an effort from a young guy making his first major league start. Uh, To make your first major league start, right, I don't care if they're going well or not, against a lineup that starts with Mookie Betts and Corey Seager to give up no runs and give your team a chance to win a shortened game, A-plus effort from Keegan Thompson. What a moment for him. Uh, Very, very special night at Wrigley. And it, it, you know, with keeping with the young kids, Justin Steele, a huge moment there coming off the mound, huge energy as he kept the Dodgers off the board. This one, like I said, does go to extras, our first of two extra inning games in this series. The scoring went like this. The Cubs jumped out in front, Jason Hayward taking Trevor Bauer deep for his third home run of the season. In the top of the seventh, it was Max Muncy getting Craig Kimbrell. So really the the first blemish on Craig in a while, and it was a ball that barely got out of the ballpark uh, to tie things at one. We would go to extras, which in this case was the eighth inning. Uh, The Dodgers looked to be uh, hoping to secure a win after they scored two on Dylan Maples in the top half of the inning, but down to their last out at Wrigley Field, it was El Mago, Javier Baez, with his eighth home run of the season that tied it at three, and David Bodie would win it going to the opposite field over the head of Mookie Betts to bring home Chris Bryan in the bottom of the ninth. Like I said, Justin Steele with a huge effort to strand that runner that starts at second base on the bases in the top half of the ninth, and he was pumped about it. So four to three, the final in game two. So the Cubs sweep the doubleheader and then looking to sweep the series on Wednesday, we did go to extra innings again. 
Max Muncie getting the Dodgers on the board. He's quite annoying. Uh, easily one of the players I dislike the most in baseball in this series didn't really help that. Gavin Lux made it two to nothing in the fifth with an RBI double, but Jake Marisnik, his fourth home run of the year, tied things at two. In the sixth, it was Will Smith with a sack fly to give the Dodgers the lead. And then in the bottom of the eighth, Javi would tie things up on a force out, bringing home Jock Peterson. We would go to extras. Again, this is a traditional game, so now the extras start in the 10th. The Dodgers getting a run in the top of the 10th. Jock Peterson tying things on a sack fly. Brendan, don't lie to me. You thought he hit that ball on the Sheffield. I, I mean, he thought he did too, Corey. I, I, when he hit it, I'm like, oh, this is over. I looked away for a second. It came back. I'm like, what? Like He caught that? I could not, I could not believe Well, it. I know he thought it was out, but I'm asking if you thought it was yeah, out. Yeah, he hit the ball, and automatically I gave like a fist pump. I thought it was over, Corey. I, I, I thought he got that, and may, maybe we all believed it, A, because Jock reacted so strongly, but also because what a perfect moment for Jock to walk it off on Kenley Jensen and his yeah. former team. But it was a sack fly, so it did do the job. So good on good on Jock there. I'm sure he's got a lot of texts from his old Dodger teammates uh, yelling at him about pimping what ended up being a sack fly. But the Dodgers would regain the lead in the top of the 11th, getting that uh, extra runner on second base in on a Matt Beattie force out, but in the bottom of the 11th, it was Matt Duffy continuing his uh, Cubs legend season with a RBI single that scored Wilson Contreras to tie the game at five, and it was Anthony Rizzo who did not start this game getting a day off, but he came in late. He goes the other way and gets it through the shift to bring home the aforementioned Matt Duffy. The Cubs win six to five. The starter in this one was Adbert Alzali, and he was filthy. Five innings, three hits, two earned, one walk, and seven strikeouts. Really, really good stuff from Adbert Alzali and the Cubs putting two earned runs in six innings on Walker Bueller. So not a, a brilliant effort from the offense, but especially against someone like Bueller, it, it it did keep them in the game. It was what they needed, and it was a, a pretty solid effort, all things considered. So, Brendan, that is the, the lay of the land, kind of a lot to to lay out there. But a, a a really good series starts with with a real exclamation point uh, with the effort that they had against Clayton Kershaw in game one and then two back and forth close victories in extra innings in the second game and third game. Corey for Keegan Thompson to come out on short notice and showcase I don't think anyone anyone really knew about this unless we missed it to showcase over 50 percent cutters was really surprising and when he was developing in the minors over the uh, past few years he he didn't predominantly throw cutters this is something new and looking at that data that cutter compared to you know your average cutter in the league has 219 percent more breaking action more horizontal movement this is a young guy you know, yeah, Tommy John surgery is one reason why he fell in the draft. This is a young, another young guy in addition to Alzali who's coming up, who's changing his sequencing, changing his repertoire, throwing more pitches that are conducive to his overall mechanics and having immediate success. This is very similar to what we saw with Alzali last year when he came up in late September, mid-September. All of a sudden, Alzali is throwing a sinker. All of a sudden, he was throwing a slider. And immediately, that slider that Alzali threw had 80% more movement than the entire league. So Thompson comes up, throws over 50% cutters. The cutters being thrown in the 90s as wicked, wicked breaking action. I'm kind of floored, to be honest. I did not expect that. I don't really think anyone expected that. I don't really know how Thompson can get more, you know, innings because once Arietta does come back, that rotation is going to be your, your typical five we've seen all year. But I'm intrigued, man. Like, I, I want to see more of Keegan Thompson. And we talk about the future and what to expect for 2022 and beyond. But Thompson could be a guy this year. I don't want to see him out of the bullpen because I think he just needs more innings. But I, I want to see more of him. I don't know how that's going to happen. 
Yeah, and like I said, it was just an impressive way to make your first major league start. And you know, he gave the Cubs exactly what they were looking for. The these spots are always uh, tough for these guys. You know, they don't always have too much advance notice that it's going to happen. Obviously, you know, the doubleheader only happening because of the rainout on Monday, and just a, a really, really nice effort from him. And it's it's cool you know, one of the, I guess, silver linings, if you want to use that phrase, of the way that the Cubs have constructed this roster and, you know, just everything going on with the team at this point is it it does provide opportunities for some of these younger guys to have these moments, make their their first appearance, get their first start, get their first hit, their first win. You know, Justin Steele picking up the win in that second game of the doubleheader on Tuesday. That's his first major league win. You know, the the gif, the video of him celebrating, pounding his glove, coming off the mound. Like, that's, that's really cool. And, you know, they're obviously, you know, in a season like, say, 2016, you know, that doesn't happen as much because every position is filled by, uh, you know, a star, you know, young player or a veteran like Ben Zobrist and stuff like that. And that's, great. It's, it's pro, you know, probably preferred because that team wins 103 games in the World Series, right? But it, it's also cool to have these opportunities and, and to be able to be excited like stuff like that. See new faces, have guys getting promoted through the ranks, uh, you know, that, that we've seen in the system for a while and getting an opportunity to step up and, and make their mark. And, and as we talked about, a lot of these guys will factor into the continued plans for 2021, but also beyond that. So it's cool to sort of have these moments and see these kinds of opportunities. But Let's, uh, what I, what I want to talk about first, I think tonight is the pitching because it was really good in this series and we've, we've already sort of kind of started to talk about this stuff, but, uh, you, you touched on Thompson there a little bit, but, uh, a really nice bounce back start from Hendricks and another really good looking performance from Alzali. So what did you see from those guys? I think in particular on Hendricks, you know, has, you know, there was some stuff, especially release point wise that you were concerned about. Have we kind of turned the corner there? Where are we with uh, some of these starters? In the last episode, we talked about Hendrick's release point being abnormally high. And from a game to game difference, that was Hendrick's greatest spike in vertical release point in like almost five seasons. So that was a, that was a big deal. And in the past, when Hendrick's uh, has this type of spike in his release point, he's commenting on it. He said that when his release point is higher, it's because he feels stuck on the rubber. He's not as extended. And in the past, maybe not so much anymore because maybe it's a little bit more tighter than it used to be, but that usually coincided with a with a pretty big velocity dip. And again, that's just because Kyle said he was stuck on the rubber couldn't get that type of uh, momentum and and flexibility to get that that velocity. So it's not happening this year. But at the same time, when his release point was higher, his command was completely gone. And we saw that in his previous outing before the Dodger outing. This one, though, boom, vertical release point back to normal, back to how it was earlier in the season, back to uh, where it was before that really bad outing before the Dodgers start. And that's encouraging because that matched up with better command. That that was the best start from Kyle we've seen all year. And he had that sinker playoff of his changeup, the changeup playoff of that sinker. He had the cutting changeup, the tailing changeup, the cutting changeup to those lefties. It was trademark vintage Hendricks. And he's one of those guys where you just know that you don't have to stress about them. And, and those types of pitchers are rare. They're, I don't think we've ever really had uh, those types of pitchers. You know, Lester is one of them, Arietta from 2017. Even 2016, he was a little shaky at times. But it's nice just to like know every fifth day, or even if it's not happening, you know Hendricks is not going to go more than four or five starts looking that shaky he's gonna figure it out eventually and he already did that and he came back out against one of the more experienced impressive lineups in the league even though they're slumping right now so that was good to see Alzali Corey Alzali he's he's turning into something and it's not the fact that I'm surprised or I'm just saying this is something that's new we we knew this but for him to go out every fifth day now and showcase that sinker showcase that slider it's so fun to watch. The pitching ninja was all over Alzali Wednesday night. There was one gif where he mashed up and synced 
the tunneling of his up fastball with his slider down and away. And at the release point, and even when the pitch is going towards home plate, you cannot pick up that break until it's too late. That is one of the more beautiful tunneling gifts I've seen for really like any Cubs pitcher. And so that goes to show you like the the utility of having a tailing fastball with another pitch to slider going the complete opposite direction. And he didn't have that combination ever before 2020. So that's that's why I'm excited. That's why I think once he develops the stamina and gets to a point where he's comfortable going through the order two plus times, three times, and he's able to go into the sixth inning and the seventh inning, that's the next step for him. And it seems almost inevitable. I don't see why that that wouldn't happen other than they really want to be cautious with his innings as the year progresses. But at some point, you know, the leash is going to have to come off. And once it does come off, that next step is going to be, okay, can Alzali with this sequencing, with this repertoire, can he get through the order three times? Hendricks, when he was first being called up, you know, 2014, 2015, 2016, he got it together and he's one of, one of the Cy Young candidates. That was Hendricks' issue. He couldn't get through the order three times and get deeper into games. And that was a big thing back then. Now look at Hendricks. He's rolling complete games regularly now. So that's that's the next step for Alzali. But every fifth day, man, it's like I'm, I'm excited to see him. I feel the same way as I did way back then when Jake Arrieta was coming into his own. And I still feel that to, to this day. But what I mean is having a young pitcher, uh, a a a team cost controlled pitcher finally of Azalai's caliber not one that has you know so so stuff with with good command one that has some of the best stuff in the league and showing the ability to implement new pitches and to be open with himself and to get as much knowledge as he needs from Arietta and working with Tommy Hadevi and Craig Breslow like Azalai is your modern prototype pitcher that you want to see the Cubs continue to develop. And again, every fifth day, I cannot wait to watch this guy pitch. And, you know, that's that's the next step is is to get him in a place where he and, and, the, and the coaching staff are confident that you can send him back out there uh, to go through the, the meat of an order like the Dodgers are, are putting out there and feel confident that, you know, that, that third time through or whatever is not going to matter that they've seen him already a, a few times, that he's still going to be able to get through them. But it, he's he's just such a joy to watch, right? Like you you know you heard I think JD on the broadcast on Marquee tonight talking about how Alzali always rated from his minor league teammates and the organizations as the guy that was working the hardest. You know when they would do surveys or awards or things like that, they always said that Alzali was one of the hardest working guys, always the you know the most driven and and putting in the work and the most studious. We saw it in spring training with him and Arietta. They've continued to report on the fact that you know uh, he is taking notes on Arietta in his in his journal that you've seen him with sometimes. You see his tweets. He's always sending out positive messages. He's always ready and excited to get to the ballpark and stuff like that. And when you watch him on the mound, too, there was a couple times tonight, I think especially he threw a, a perfect breaking ball on the outer edge to get Chris Taylor looking. And, you know, he just had that little strut off the mound after he got the K. Like, he's got that confidence. He's got that swagger. And he's got the stuff. I mean, you're seeing the stuff. And so, you know, of course, there's there's still adjustments to make. There's still next steps to take. But he's this is early in his journey journey, right? And and he's doing so many things right. And he's just uh, an absolute joy to follow along with and, and root for. And, you know, he, he's just at that spot, right? Like, I always look forward to Kyle Hendricks pitching because he's Kyle Hendricks. But like, he, you know, Alzali is just in that spot where I can't wait for him to go out there, right? Because you, you just feel like something is happening. Something is building with this guy. And, and you just want him back out there to see it keep happening, right? Because it just feels like a matter of time, like you're saying, Brendan, that we've got this guy, and like it's it's only a matter of time before he's going out there and giving us you know seven eight inning 
shutout baseball and, you know, starting to get to that complete game territory. Like, you just feel like we're on the precipice of that with Alzali, and it's a lot of fun to watch. So that was kind of the the picture with the guys who started in this series. Really nice efforts from all three of them, but I want to make sure we talk about the efforts from the guys out of the bullpen because, of course, in a a three-game series that gets played over the course of two days, you have a doubleheader. Obviously, it, it takes a village to secure all of these outs. It was very nice of Kyle Hendricks to go all seven innings in the first game of the doubleheader on Tuesday. We had talked about wanting length from these guys, and that certainly provided that. It it sets things up nicely for the night game, knowing that David Ross and Tommy Hadovy have the rest of their pitching staff at their disposal because they did not need to use anybody in game one. So thank you to Kyle for that. Uh, But on the whole, really nice performances from so many of these guys. A, A couple of clunkers in this series, to be sure. Dylan Maples was not good in the second uh, game of the doubleheader on Tuesday, and then Kyle Ryan had a rough outing in the finale on Wednesday night following Alzali, but some really nice performances here, and I, and I want to make sure we highlight that. Obviously, Justin Steele, we mentioned pitching in extras, stranding that uh, inherited runner, pumped up, giving the Cubs a chance to win, and he gets his first win in that game. But Ryan Tapera had a really nice series. He has a completely clean inning of work, uh, just one inning, no hits, no runs, no walks, no strikeouts. He also pitched again on Wednesday night, going two innings, no hits, no runs, no walks, and two strikeouts. So a really, really nice series from Ryan Tapera, who at times earlier in the year, you know, had had battled with command and, you know, had not looked like his uh, MVP vote-getting self, right? But this was a really nice back-to-back couple days uh, and overall three innings of work for Tapera, so that is very nice to see. Uh, Chafin had a good outing in the second game on Tuesday. Uh, you know, Kimbrell gets the blown save because he gives up the home run to Muncie in the second game on Tuesday, but he still looks he still looked really good in that and like I said, that that was a ball that that you know barely gets out uh to right field and Kimbrell has been lights out for quite some time now, so I think he's allowed uh that one single mistake to Max Muncie and he came back the the next night here on Wednesday night with a clean inning, no hits, no runs, no walks and two strikeouts. So he was, he he looked like the the version of Craig Kimbrell that we've been getting this whole time on both nights. He he got beat once, and that's okay. A nice bounce back from him. Rex Brothers, uh, a nice couple of days here. He goes on Tuesday night in Game Two, uh, just uh, a third of an inning, but he gets a strikeout, and then he also comes back on Wednesday night. He goes uh, a full inning, gives up one hit, but no runs, no walks, and strikes out two. Uh, Alec Mills, in kind of the length role on Wednesday night, goes two innings. He does pick up the win. He did give up three hits, uh, two runs, but they were unearned, walked two and one strikeout. So not great from Mills, but remember, he's also pitching in that scenario where he's getting the inherited runner, and you know, you're know you trying to maneuver those ex- these new extra innings rules where you have that inherited runner, and you, you, know, you, you don't want to be pitching to contact too much, but you're also just trying to get out. So it's a tough spot for Mills, you know, and I thought it was fine, especially all things considered. So, you know, namely, like, Kimbrell looked great, obviously, but Justin Steele, a huge outing in Game 2. Ryan Tapera, a very nice couple days. Rex Brothers, a very nice couple days. So some some really big performances from this bullpen and, you know, something that you want to see from, from a group like this. You know, th- this is a group that we've talked about a lot that has a lot of guys who have been given another chance to kind of find themselves and succeed at this level. You had some young guys stepping up. Just a, a really nice overall couple days for the Chicago Cubs bullpen. Tapera looked really good, Corey. And what, like for Tapera, there was a few outings ago where his cutter was not there. He didn't throw it whatsoever. His velocity was down with a cutter over a mile and a half. Came back out, cutters right there on point, velocity back up. Now, this recent outing was interesting because in last year's, you know, quote unquote MVP year for him, 
He had the third best whiff rate in Major League Baseball, and that was because his cutter was one of the more valuable pitches in the entire league. He was getting whiffs like crazy with that pitch. And he, he really only threw that cutter and that fastball. That that was it. In that year, he sprinkled in 19 changeups in 2020. This year, he's already thrown 18 changeups. And of those 18 changeups, all of them have been two left-handed batters, all but one, actually. So he's throwing this changeup to left-handed batters in a way that he didn't really do last year. And that could be, you know, maybe for a few reasons. We'll, we'll never know unless someone asks him. But one reason could be that he trusts this changeup more. The second reason is he's adjusting to scouting reports against him. Maybe he was not feeling comfortable against lefties. Maybe there was some something in the data that suggested, hey, you need to go and use the pitch on the opposite way to these left-handed batters. And that that's what he did. And with Jason Adam now not with the team, I was excited about Adam because he had that changeup. He had that, that nasty uh, f- fastball. He had spin rate off the charts. I was surprised to see Adam go down. But with Tapera up, he kind of fits that same mold. Like, I look at Jason Adam the same way I kind of look at Ryan Tapera, even though Tapera has more of that track record. And it's two guys with exceptional stuff. Both guys had command issues in 2020. Both guys have had command issues in 2021. And both guys will get massive amounts of whiffs. And so for Tapera to come back and rebound after the start of the year where the cutter wasn't there, the velo was down. Now, all of a sudden, the cutter's there, the velo's back up, and he's throwing a changeup to left-handed batters. That's new. That's interesting, and I like seeing that. And with Chafin and and uh, Tapera and Kimbrell kind of towards the back end of that bullpen with Rex Brothers, who's getting a pretty consistent role here, it may not look exactly the same a month from now, two months from now, when you have... Maybe Jason Adam coming back up, and we'll see how Kyle Ryan develops into his role, and, and hopefully, fingers crossed, we have Rowan Wick coming back. But this does go to show you that the depth of this bullpen, it is deeper than you may think. It's been deeper than we've seen in years past. And for example, when Jason Adam may not be providing instant value, they can dip down and go in and bring back someone like a Ryan Tapera with nasty stuff. I mean, this bullpen's going to be top tier in the league in whiffs. It's just a matter of having the command. And they have so many guys, I feel like, who are going to get the whiffs. And I feel like as the year develops, Tommy Hadovy and the rest of the pitching staff, some of these guys, their command's going to improve. I'm pretty confident about that. Yeah, and of course, you know, plenty of, of decisions to come as, as certain guys come back. And, you know, the, the Cubs have some guys that are hurt. So we'll see how the Cubs front office decides to continue maneuvering these guys. But, you know, this, like I said, this was a set of games in game two of the doubleheader and then the finale on Wednesday where you needed a lot of guys and you needed guys to step up. That's the thing with this new extra innings rule is it immediately puts these guys in a pressure spot, right? And and we saw it a couple times in this series, and you certainly see it in any of these new extra inning games that you watch, where you have a pitcher come out of the bullpen, they give up a, a soft ground ball, and all of a sudden there's a runner on third base with one out, and they're threatening to score a run. It's, it's a tough spot for these relievers, especially a lot of whom, right, like you wouldn't normally love bringing them into a dirty inning, right? And, you know, you even look at someone like Alec Mills in the finale, like Alec Mills is is pitching to contact. He's pitching to soft contact. And in a spot like this, they, that sort of puts him at a disadvantage even if he doesn't get hit hard, right? And and he did, you know, uh, give up some hits, but it, it's, it, but I'm just saying, as a concept, it, it puts some of these relievers in a really tough spot. But the way that the Cubs relievers in this series managed that was really impressive and very nice to see, you know, especially guys like Tapera and Brothers, um, you know, who had 
had their, you know, struggles or struggles with command, et cetera, at times have a really nice couple days. And it, it was a very impressive series for this Cubs team, uh, an unorthodox one, right, with a doubleheader and a couple of uh, extra inning walk-offs, but a really nice job from this pitching staff. And of course, as we mentioned, the the kind of really exciting things being, you know, Hendricks getting back to form and give you, giving you that dominant outing in the first game on Tuesday, Alzali looking really good. And then I think, of course, you know, being able to see such exciting and and monumental moments for some of these younger guys like Justin Steele and Keegan Thompson. So uh, a, a very fun series from a pitching perspective, um, a couple of, of blemishes aside, a, a really nice job by Tommy Hadovy's staff here in this series. So transitioning to the offense, there's a lot going on with this team right now. So after the series in Cincinnati, it's actually Nico Horner that hits the injured list uh, for his forearm, which was ultimately what hit Ian Happ in the head in that collision. Happ does not hit the injured list, uh, was fine, you know, I think went through the, the, the concussion tests and all that stuff. So very, very glad that all that stuff came back clear and that Ian did not suffer, uh, you know, a, a major injury there because, you know, you and I were talking, Brendan, and I, I think all of you would agree, watching it in real time, I, I was quite scared for Ian. It was just one of those things that like anytime you have a guy's head and face involved in that stuff, I was scared uh, about the way that that looked. And so for him to come out of that, you know, no worse for wear, just, you know, hopefully a few days off here. Um, very fortunate and very glad uh, that Ian is okay and that, you know, primarily his health is okay. Um, but so all of that, leaves the Cubs in, you know, of course, an interesting spot. So Jock Peterson is back. He led off uh, in a couple games in this series. So good to see him back and, you know, have him healthy and, and back in the lineup. Um, you know, you also have had Wilson Contreras recently dealing with his own injury. So we've seen a bit more Tony Walters than I think anybody is particularly interested in. Um, you've got Ildemaro Vargas has been back up in, in this series. You've got Matt Duffy doing things all over the field. Jake Marisnik looking like the, uh, you know, fourth outfielder that we really dreamed of in the past. So a lot going on offensively in this series. One constant, of course, is Chris Bryant is still playing at an MVP pace. He does more damage in this series. He leaves the series with a 308 batting average and a 1068 OPS. So his uh, revenge season is still very much going strong after this series with the Dodgers. But the first person I want to talk about, Brendan, from an offensive perspective is uh, one Javier Baez, because we, we have talked about him, and surely if you listen to other podcasts, if you read anything about the Cubs, if you follow the Cubs, right, there has been a lot made of the way that Javi started the season because his K rate, his chase rate, those numbers were gaudy, right? They they were the highs of his career. They were extreme, extreme, extreme. And at certain points in the season, you know, that was translating, of course, to bad WRC plus numbers, bad uh, OPS numbers, all those traditional numbers. And I remember at one point saying that one, of course, one of the reasons we harp on Javi and, and so many people harp on Javi is because he's one of the cornerstones of this team and, and the offense runs through him and, and this team is built to be at their best when Javi is playing at a potential, you know, MVP level as the Cubs shortstop. So that's primary, primarily reason one. But another thing that, that we really looked at was because those numbers were so extreme, if he could just cut them down a little bit, his ability to slug, his his bat speed, his power, and his athleticism, if he can slug and just not have those numbers be so extreme, he can be very productive even if he's not at his best, even if he's not destroying the ball in every at-bat and, and looking like that 2018 version of Javi Baez. And so he leaves this series with a 245 batting average and a, an 811 OPS, which is not where he would like those numbers to be. But given his defense, his base running, it's it's a very productive player. But one thing I want to look at in particular, Brendan, is this graphic that they put up on Marquee because I think it really illustrates what we were talking a couple weeks ago about in just trimming those numbers down a little bit 
right? Because then his overall production would start to get to where you want it to be, and certainly above league average. So his first 13 games of the season, Javi hit 191 with a 404 slugging percentage, and the key numbers, a 43.1% strike strikeout rate and a 54.3% swing and miss rate. In his most recent 13 games, that strikeout rate has dropped to 32.7%. The swing and miss rate has dropped to 35.3%. So a 19-point drop in that swing and miss percentage. And of course, the numbers followed suit. He's got a 647 slugging percentage in those last 13 games and a 294 batting average in those last 13 games. So Brendan, we we knew that those extreme numbers were extreme even for Javi, right, who goes through those stretches. But he has, I think, numbers-wise, of course, but even just visually, and I think we talked about this in that series with the Reds, he looks slowed down a bit. He just looks better at the plate. The at-bats are better. The plate appearances are better. And the numbers are clearly showing that, that, that as he's gotten those extreme chase and whiff rates down, naturally, because of his ability to slug, as we, of course, saw in this series, those overall production numbers creep up so rapidly to, you know, where you want them to be for him. So these plate discipline numbers like contact rate and, and overall chase rate and, and walk rate, all of that, they, they stabilize really quickly. And the word stabilize is just a way to say from a statistical point of view when a sample size is reliable. And the, the word reliable is kind of arbitrary. It's the point at which... Over 50% of the variance is attributed to non-random things. And that non-random stuff is just like the player's talent. And so for Javi, in his last 50 plate appearances, this is the point at which contact rate stabilizes. In his last 50 plate appearances, his contact rate is 72%. It's good to see. As a reference, that's the same contact rate. As Chris Bryant has shown for most of the season, the same contact rate as David Bodie. It's the same contact rate as most players in the league on a year-to-year basis. Now, the average is around 74 to 75%, but having a 72% contact rate, pretty good. Especially when he started the year, he was below 60%, which would have been historically bad. And you may remember, if you read Fangraphs, there was this article posted on April 13th where it basically summarized Javi as driving off the cliff, that we should all be concerned that Javi's career is going down the tube. And many of those trends have gotten better, and, and some of those trends are still persisting. So despite despite that contact rate being improved, there's still room for improvement. And visually, like you said, Corey, in the Cincinnati series, he looks better. He looks a little bit more controlled at the dish, but there are some at-bats where the swings are maybe a little bit too wild. And by wild, it just means Javi's being fooled by pitches. I mean, some of these pitchers he's seen have been really, really good. And so that is marked by two numbers. The first number is his outside zone contact rate. Really high, super high, over 70% in his last uh, 50 plate appearances. So his zone contact and his outside the zone contact basically identical. You want that zone contact to be a little bit higher, around uh, 80%, which is where it was when he was an MVP candidate. Right now, it's around 72%. And for the year, it's around 70% as well. So he's still not hitting pitches in the zone. But what he's been able to do lately is elongate at-bats by making more contact with pitches outside the zone. And what that has done is it's given Javi more of an opportunity to face mistake pitches. And most of his home runs recently have been sliders or breaking balls up in a way that have been misthrown by the pitcher. And Javi's getting to that situation at the dish because he's making more contact on bad pitches. So for Javi's next stage of getting back to normal, 
still needs to hit those pitches thrown inside the zone. He's still not doing that frequently. And pitchers are taking note of that. So in 2018, when he had that MVP year, he only saw a pitch inside the strike zone 44% of the time. Last year, it was 45% of the time. Right now, it's 47% of the time. So pitchers are getting a little bit more comfortable going inside the strike zone to Javi. And that's because I think he's just missing his pitches so far. And he's still missing some of those pitches, albeit not as frequently lately, but he's still missing those pitches. And it's good to see Javi make more contact overall, that contact outside the zone, putting himself in a favorable, uh, favorable position. And overall, that's contributed to a WRC plus of, of 113. That's, that's really good when you combine that with plus defense. And for this year, that's what you want out of your shortstop. Now, do you want to use this to project future years for a contract year? Are we comfortable with this type of trend? We need to see we need to see more. We need to see more to be a little bit more comfortable that he can continue to be stable, that he can continue to to make more contact. But that's gonna take more time, more games. We need to see Javi make more contact, hard contact on pitches inside the zone. But this is, this is encouraging. It's a fast turnaround. He went from being one of the worst hitters in the league for the first you know two weeks, now being above league average. That that's who Javi is, and that might be who who Javi will always be. Rebounding from a tough start, and you know, starting to get those overall production numbers where you want them, and you know, of course, like anytime you get those moments, like in Game Two on Tuesday night in the doubleheader where he ties the game late, the Cubs down to their last out. I mean, Marquis had a shot, uh, I think from their, that new camera that they've been using, you know, from the stands where you just see the trajectory of the ball off the bat, the fans rising right away, Javi doing his kind of signature slow strut out of the batter's box. It, it's just a beautiful sight, man. There, there's, there's, uh, Chris Bryant home runs, I think, are the prettiest. There, there's just, you know, obviously something about Chris's swing, but there, there is also just something about a, a vintage kind of Javi Baez absolute bomb, where if you're watching on TV, you know Pat is on the radio getting out the tape measure. There's just something about it. So uh, that was a lot of fun. Another guy we have to highlight is Matt Duffy. Brendan, because, and I, and I know you liked Matt Duffy uh, right from the jump, just because of his ability to make contact, his ability to get on base. But th- this is, you know, the, the Cubs have a couple signings right now from this offseason that I, I'm, I'm pretty sure couldn't be going any better if they tried, right, in Matt Duffy and Jake Marisnik. And uh, those aren't the only ones, but th- those are just going extremely well, Brendan. Now, I don't know if anybody would have envisioned Duffy playing this much. It's, it's certainly sort of a product of his ability to make more contact with this group some guys missing time, et cetera, his ability to play different positions. Uh, but he's almost walking as much as he's striking out. His walk rate is 14.3%. His K rate is uh, 15.9%. But he's hitting 308. He's got a 429 on base percentage. Now, he doesn't slug that much, but that's okay. And he's got a 129 WRC plus in 63 plate appearances. Like, when you when you sign a guy because he makes contact and he gets on base, right, and he's got a 129 WRC plus and is getting on base almost 43% of the time, I, I would say so far you've nailed that signing. His career WRC plus Duffy's it's 101. He's actually been above league average his entire career. And you pointed it out, Ben. But to have someone off the bench that is not going to strike out, that's going to see pitches, he's not going to hit the ball far. He's not going to hit for power. He has no home runs on the year. He only has 22 career home runs. His career ISO is under 100. He's just going to slap the ball all over the field. And that is valuable. Even this year with an ISO... What is this? A 42, a 042 ISO. He has a Woba of 364, even with an ISO of under 50, because he's walking around 14% of the time and he's batting over 300. So, Corey, this is like, this is not crazy to think that Duffy 
can end the year around similar numbers. Now, he's going to be a 360 Woba guy? Probably not. But in his career, he's around 320, a career 316 Woba. And he's had years twice now where he's had a Woba above 320, one 331 and another 323. He could easily end the year around the same mark and off the bench to play third base as he did in Wednesday. He can play first base. He can play second base. That's valuable, man. And when you need someone to make contact, especially in these new extra inning rules where you have a guy start at second base, there may not be anyone else on the team outside of, you know, Rizzo, who has that type of ability to consistently put the ball in play. Again, this is a guy with a strikeout rate of only around 15%. That, that is extraordinarily high uh, contact for someone to come off the bench. And with two outs, with one out to go in the game, we need that one run. Like, what does Duffy do? He comes up, he puts the ball in play, line drive up the middle, and we tie the game up. And that's the value of having a different type of approach to come off the bench, especially one with high contact. And we have not had that in years. We tried with Tony Kemp. We tried with other guys in the past. Now, finally, we may have found that nice little switch up off the bench in Matt Duffy. The other guy, you know, I, I think we, we've touched on him a bit, but boy, like Jake Marisnik, another one who is just killing it. And we we talked about him in spring training, you know, once we kind of started to see him, and especially early in the season about what he brings, right? And he's got that speed. He's deceptively fast because of how tall he is. He's got exit velocity. You know, he's able to hit the ball really hard. But, you know, here's another guy, right, who's, you know, now he's hitting homers with regularity, and he's getting playing time in center field, and, you know, he, he's got, he's hitting 270 with a 990 OPS, Brendan. Now, again, this is this is not a guy who's playing every day, so this is in, you know, spot starts or pinch hitting spots and, and you know, whenever, but it's, it's fun after some years where the Cubs made off-season moves, and, you know, obviously we've talked a lot about how they had often made moves that, you know, weren't of the variety that we wanted, right? Like, they they weren't adding the Bryce Harpers of the world to the offense. They were making these, you know, sort of little changes. But it, it, even just through a month of baseball, it's very nice to have made a couple signings that had specific intention from the front office, right? You knew when they signed someone like Matt Duffy why they were signing him, what they liked about him. When they signed Marisnik, right? You knew what they were signing him for, what they liked him to do, right? Even someone like Eric Sogard, you saw it in this in this series. He hits a bunch of like weak, stupid little ground balls. They half of them find a hole, right? And it's just nice for once, it feels like, for the Cubs to have made some really intentional signings on the margins for their bench and for their offense, and for those moves to be working out exactly like you want them to. I remember there was that inning earlier in the year where I think it was these three guys, and they pieced together uh, a run, right? I think Marisnik had walked, Duffy got him over. And he had stolen a base with his speed, and then Sogard brought him in uh, with contact. And I remember highlighting at the time saying, this is really cool. These three guys all did exactly what they're here to do. And so to be this far in, and when you have so many guys missing time, right? You've had Contreras have, have to miss a little bit of time. You have Hap missing time now. You have Nico, who's missing time now. You have Hap, who, of course, had had struggled. You had Jock missing time and has struggled like for these guys off the bench to be playing like this, not only in the the roles that they were sort of destined for and, and the skills that they were brought here for, but they're really picking up the slack. Like if Matt Duffy is not doing this, if Jake Marisnik is not doing this, you know, I don't know if the Cubs are weathering this this the the, the struggles of some of these other guys on offense and the kind of little uh, injuries that they're dealing with. These are, are really big performances from these guys, and I they're they're you know I I just like watching Marisnik play. That seems to be a common sentiment on. Cubs social media and stuff, but he, he's fast. He's, you know, he hits the home run tonight. He's running around the bases. His hair is flowing in the wind. It's bouncing off his shoulders. I, I just like the guy's vibe. And so it's, it's, it's been really enjoyable to see what these guys have been able to do off the bench, even though it's not really off the bench right now. Okay, let's preview this upcoming series against the Pittsburgh Pirates. The Cubs have an off day 
on Thursday when you're listening to this. On Friday, they're back out there at 1.20 p.m. Central. And we have Trevor Cahill, former Cub Trevor Cahill, on the mound for Pittsburgh. On the year, Cahill, not good. 1-3, a 7.4 ERA. He'll be facing Zach Davies, also not doing well. 1-2 with an 8.22 ERA. Then on Saturday... The Cubs are back out there. They'll be facing uh, Crow for the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates. He's 0-1 with a 4.66 ERA. Trevor Williams on the mound for the Cubs, a 2-2 record, a 6-flat ERA. And then on Sunday to finish off this three-game set, we have Tyler Anderson on the mound for Pittsburgh. He's 2-3 on the year with a 3.24 ERA. He'll be facing Kyle Hendricks, looking to continue that impressive outing against the Dodgers. Uh, Hendricks on the year is 2-3 with a 6.07 ERA. Pittsburgh on the year, 13-17. The Cubs with their three-game sweep over the Dodgers stand at 15-16, just to give a complete picture of the division. So right now we have the St. Louis Cardinals on top at 18-13, followed by the Milwaukee Brewers, who are 17 in 14, then the Cincinnati Reds at 14 and 15, three games back of the Cardinals, and then the Cubs, who are 15 and 16, and they are also three games back of the Cardinals. So, trends to watch this series you want to see Kyle continue to look good on Sunday. We want to see Javi continuing to make more contact. We'll see how David Ross mixes and matches. The outfield with Jake Maristic perhaps getting more playing time. We'll see where uh, Matt Duffy plays. Maybe he'll stay at third base to give Chris Bryant some more time in the outfield. We do have Jock Peterson back. We'll see how he gets used. He may get that day off on Sunday against a lefty. Maybe he'll start against a lefty as we thought would happen over the year. But we'll see. Those are the features to watch. It would be really nice, Corey, just to sweep the series against this terrible Pittsburgh Pirates team. Come back here on Sunday, two games above 500 and feeling good about ourselves. Let's do that. Yeah, so I I, I do just have one note for you there. Uh, You introduced former Cub Trevor Cahill. Uh, Trevor was a member of the 2016 Chicago Cubs. And those Chicago Cubs did win the World Series. So just uh, a, a a little note there. Um, yeah, I mean, look, like you have an off day on Thursday and it's, it's, it's something that I think is basically a repeat of where we were after that Mets series, right? Like you just swept, uh, a, a team that has not been playing well in the Dodgers, but that was, and probably still is a, a favorite to win their division and compete for the, the pennant and, and everything else. And you swept them. You saw their three best pitchers, three of, of the better pitchers in all of major league baseball, and you swept them out of Wrigley field. You, you just want to, I, I don't even care about really anything individually. I, the, the main thing, I want these guys to get healthy, right? I, I hope that Hap is is getting closer to being able to be back out there, you know, and that and Nico and, and some of these other guys, uh, as they're out, they're progressing in the way you want and that they'll be back soon. Um, but I just, I just want to see them ride this, you know, and, and capitalize on what was a really nice series. They should all be feeling great, I, I would think. And just keep that energy going into the weekend and have a productive series and and get this thing on track because as we've talked about basically all off season with this team and in spring training with this team we we know who these guys are to a degree it's it, it is not surprising that this team is about 500 uh after 31 games right we knew that there was a chance that they could play a bit better than that and a chance that they could play a bit worse than that. But they are right there. And it's all about winning these tight games. And now I think it's it's really about, you know, you got to beat the bad teams. And I've said before that, you know, with the way Pittsburgh has played the Cubs so far this year, it, it, it feels odd to refer to them that way because they've beaten the Cubs. But you got to beat the Pirates, right? You have to win series against teams like that, and you you have to capitalize on when the schedule lightens up a little bit. You 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 made a really good effort against what 
figured on paper to be a very tough series here against the Dodgers, and you want to keep that going because as things sit, right, the Cubs are one game under 500. They're three back of the Cardinals. The leader in the NL Central is 18 and 13 here after uh, 31 games. That's that's nothing, right? This team is absolutely in this division race. They are absolutely competitive. They are absolutely right there, which is what we all kind of thought we would see from this team. And I don't know what's going to decide this division. I don't know what it's going to come down to, but we are certainly not seeing anybody in this division kind of presenting themselves and, you know, puffing their chest out and, and making it very clear that this is their division. So it's up for grabs. And when you, anytime you can go in and beat a three starter set that we saw from the Dodgers, you've got the talent to win games. We, we just saw it, right? And so it's, it's just about sort of riding this. Let's build a little winning streak. Let's get to 500. Let's get over 500 and just take it one step at a time. We, we know that this season has some weird stuff looming about it, right? We, we, we've talked about it so much, so repetitively about not knowing what this front office is going to do, not knowing uh, what's going to happen with some of these players. Are they going to be extended? Are they going to be traded? Are they going to be QO'd at the end of the year? Like we don't know. And it's unnerving. It's unsettling. But where we are right now, uh, as we record this on May 5th, is the Cubs are three back of a division that they won last year with plenty of games to play against the teams in front of them. And they just swept the series that featured Kershaw, Bauer, and Walker Bueller. So for the moment, I'm feeling very good. I know you're feeling very good, Brendan. And it's right there. So take it day by day, enjoy the off day, and we'll get ready to try to win a series this weekend, and we'll take it one step at a time because for where we are right now, that was an awesome series that had a lot of awesome moments. It ends with an Anthony Rizzo walk-off to complete a sweep at home, and that is a that is a good vibe to be on right now. So one step at a time, each series at a time, because the Cubs are right there. So it's all about getting it together and, and trying to get it together on a more consistent basis, obviously, than we've seen throughout the early portion of this season. So that was a very fun couple days of baseball at Wrigley Field. I hope that we can continue it and that we have another uh, fun discussion on Sunday. Of course, Brendan and I will be back with you as this next series is completed. We will break it all down and and set up where we're going from there. We appreciate you guys listening to the Cubs-related podcast, of course. And that is all we have for you. So we will talk to you soon. And as always, go Cubs.